Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Talking Luke Davies Uniac. Is he the premium midfielder that's about to send himself to the moon? Or is that body going to continue to let him down in 2024 and he becomes another maybe 25 will be his year? We're going to talk all things LDU and his relevance in Supercoach Dream Team and AFL Fantasy. Joining me on this episode, a man that if you're on Twitter, you've probably seen the fantasy nut roll around through, but he's making his coaches panel debut and you're going to hear him plenty throughout the 2024 preseason and season proper. Vans, nice to chat. And man, LDU is a fascinating guy to consider in 2024. Yeah, great to be here. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk about a player who I think is going to be super relevant this year. And I might even say, I think should be a little bit higher on your list, but we'll get into that. Yeah, no, there's definitely some great conversations we can have about LDU. Let's break through his season that has just been an average of 113.6, means he's priced at just over $635,000 in Supercoach. 10 tons last year, one of them a seasonal and career-high score of 155. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, a seasonal average of 97.4 means he's priced at literally about $800 short of 900K in DT and $879,000 in AFL Fantasy. Seven tons last year. 138 was his top score and a career-high of 145. Last year, Ranked fourth in the league for stoppages per game, 13th for contested possessions, 14th for effective disposals, top 10 for clearances, top 20 for disposals, and even top 20 for handballs and inside 50s per game. Even without just looking at the fantasy stuff, Svams, this guy just knows how to get it done. Such a great turn of speed, such a strong clearance winner. And the good news is he's not just a one-dimensional inside bull. He's such a damaging midfielder and a joy to watch. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head and why he's so tempting. And indeed, he was a very, very popular choice even going into last year. And and many actually predicted last year was the, the year we'd see him sort of break out into that premium, perhaps even uber premium range. However, as we'll get into, they didn't quite come to fruition. But as you said, it, it's the fact that he's got such a well-rounded fantasy game, both in terms of what I would describe as sort of the holy trinity of what you want to see in a fantasy mid, that being those with high time on ground, high CBAs, and high, preferably high sort of points per minute as well. And he's got all of that. His time on ground is typically around that 85% mark, which is very, very high. He had a couple of games this year where that was much lower due to some injury-affected games where it brought down his overall average, but more often than not, he's in that 85% sort of range in terms of time on ground. His CBAs, they're as high as it really gets in AF. So, um, you know, last year, his CBAs really hovered between that 80 to 85% for for most of the uh, for most of the season. And, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be points in the game where you're not on the ground. So basically when he's on the ground, if there's a CBA, he's in there. And then you look at that third thing, which is that points per minute. And ideally you want it to go above that one range. 
If you're really sort of at the top end, you're at that 1.1 range. He's just a tick below that at the moment, about 0.97. But there's actually not that many mids that go at 80% CBAs, 80% time on ground, and have that one point per minute sort of scoring average. There's only, last year, there was only about five of them, that, them being sort of Bontempelli, Parrish, Oliver, Sarong, and Green. And just about all of them, perhaps Parrish is not quite there yet, although he's shown to be there in the past. They're all those sort of 110-type midfielders. And I think what makes Luke Davies' Uniac so tempting is that, again, he's got all those factors going in his favour. But there's a couple of things that are bringing him down, which we'll get into. But again, that well-rounded game, what do we mean by that? A player that doesn't rely on just a big bag of goals or a high mark game or you know 10 tackles, but indeed he's got high possessions that he can get. He can push that 30 possessions in any given game. He's also got that four or five marks a game and around that four or five tackles a game, which means if he is sort of clamped down on the inside he can um you know he can get you those 10 tackle 10 tackle games or if he's getting a tag perhaps on the outside again those tackles can push him up or um not getting the tackles he's got these games where he's put together six seven uh marks as well so ideally you want to have these guys that when you combine their their tackle numbers and their mark number uh mark numbers ideally if they can get to that nine ten range that's a great marker of a player that can potentially push that 110 plus mark. And, and last year was 8.2, but you compare that to some other sort of top dog mids. you got sort of Oliver about 10.9. Dawson was really top of the tree last year, about 11.7. But then you've got guys like Merritt, Taranto, Goulden, Brayshaw, they're all around that 10 mark. And, and LDU is not too far away from that. And I think that's the real encouraging for us is we're looking at who are these right premium midfielders to start in our team. And, and what you're really alluding to there, Vams, is he's in so many different key indicators. He's already there. Probably the biggest concern people have is, is the games played tally, at least for last year on a back kind of start of his career, have been a bit inconsistent. But still, from the 14 games he played last year, he averaged a 97.7 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. There's a bunch of tons, seven there, four of them over 120. So ceiling's not his concern. And even in the last six, he goes at over 110. It's a 112.1 average. Ranked 27th for mids in the format of AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. So we're seeing in so many areas, he's just that, half step away from being able to be that top line premium midfielder we want and need. Arguably, he's already there in Supercoach if it wasn't for missing so many games. He's ranked 11th for averages of midfielders based off what he did in 2023. That average of 113.6 means he's coming into the season with a better average than Errol Goulden, Tom Green, Caleb Sarong, the Brownlow medalist Lockie Neal and Andrew Brayshaw. So he's already up at that top end right now with seven scores of 120 plus last year, multiple 140s and his last six, he went at 126.6. So he's showing for patches and stretches of his career, especially really over these last three years, we've got a guy who's got the potential that is not just hypothetical, but proven over big stretches of time that he could be one of the best midfielders going around for us. And Vams, I'm, I'm curious about this. You, you made these little notes of stats and points. It feels like to me that when we talk about value at the start of the year, we almost go completely to the 
bottom range of cash cows or we find ourselves looking at mid prices and breakouts. But certainly in AF and DT, where there's a, a little bit of value based on what his current average is versus what the forecast scoring could be, how important is it to look at these players that are in this range that you still go, look, they're around that 100 price point, but I feel like they could make it to the next tier level and become an out-and-out super premium for us. Yeah, look, it's a super important point. And I, I, I guess I, I just want to perhaps lay out some context as to why I think LDU in particular this year is, is super relevant. So it's already well established that to do well, particularly in AF and arguably in all the other formats as well, um, really it comes down to in your starting in your starting side, every single position, try and find a guy that's going to outperform what you're paying for them. We already know that well-established to do well in AF, that's what you need to do. But let me put this stat to you. In the past two years, the top six fantasy mids in each year in AF, how many of those players, so from 2021 and 2022, the top six fantasy mids in each of those years, how many of those 12 do you think improved on their average even if it was only by one point per game, how many of those 12 do you think improved on their average the subsequent year? I'll tell you the answer. The answer is one. And that was Oliver last year when he went from 113 in 2021 to 115. Brayshaw went close last year, having done 113 the previous year to 110 last year. But the super alarming thing, MJ, is that all the other mids didn't just dip, they fell dramatically. And I think this is kind of the key point where I feel as a fantasy community, we massively underestimate how much things change, particularly at the top end, in particular in the midfield, how much changes from year to year. And at this time of year, when we're putting our sort of starting teams together, we often have this crutch of using the previous season scores as some sort of, um, you know, as, as I said, a, a crutch in terms of, I want a captain option, so let me put in a Dawson because he averaged 115, whatever it was last year, and he's going to do it again, and I want a good captain option. Whereas as I've just highlighted, history shows he's probably not going to be this, the same player that he was last year in terms of fantasy. I don't know the reason for that. I don't know how that's going to come to be, but history shows that top end changes a lot. So one, if we agree that in order to do well in AF, you need to find value with each and every one of your picks. Two, if you accept this idea that the top end, particularly in the midfield, changes significantly from year to year, then instead of going hunting in that 110 plus range, what we really need to be doing is going and finding guys that are priced, let's call it between 80 to 100, and those that are going to take that next step up. Last year, we had this plethora of young gun midfielders that were on the verge of breaking out. Your Rosies, your Butters, your Sarongs, your Tom Greens, your Gouldens. This year, looking through the list, we are not really blessed with a huge number of prime breakout candidates. I'm not saying that there are not going to be players or several players that are going to break out from that price range, but there are not a heap that we are that we feel are prime to do that. I think LDU, he's on he's obviously at a at a higher price than what some of those other guys were last year. But he's one of the perhaps few that I have in my mind that, um, you know, he's priced at, what, 97 at the moment that I feel is going to potentially or is going to be one of the prime candidates to take that next step up. 
The question is, is that to 105? Is that to 110? Or perhaps even more? We'll wait to see that. But this is the reason why I think he's so relevant. It's because we don't want to be going and shopping in that 110, 115 plus range. We want to be finding guys that can take that next step up and be next year's superstars, not last year's superstars. And again, I think LDU is a prime candidate. He's right in that spot. And the beautiful thing for us, Vams, is the worst case scenario you feel like it's going to be for him should he get some health and fitness, which again, outside of last year, the two years prior would have given you a little bit of confidence. It's you're paying for what he is in AF and DT, which is a high 90s average guy. And that's certainly not going to derail your season while in super coach. He's already at that space that you talk about being one of the top 10 sort of midfield territory while he's priced at the 11th best mid. We've seen over stretches, he can go big 120, 131, 40 plus scores. So I think some of that illustration that you've unpacked for us in AF is obviously easily paralleled to DT, but equally as valuable and relevant for us in Supercoach. There's a couple of things I want to steal your brain on. I think there's a couple of concerns people might have. I feel like one can get squashed pretty quickly. The other needs a conversation. But before I get there, he's priced in this interesting range where depending on the format you play, you've got guys like a Took Miller, who we haven't seen in the 50 most relevant yet. I wonder if he'll appear. You've got a Jack Steele, who again, will he appear in the 50 most relevant? We'll wait and see. You could argue that just using those two as an example, have got greater legacy of history, depending on the format you, pr- you play in a comparably priced but might have a few more question marks around them, maybe not so much in durability, which we will talk about with LDU, but more so in terms of game style, coaching structures, and bodies coming into that midfield mix. How important is it for you to put those factors in consideration of potential question marks concerns on other players as it is to considering a player like an LDU? How do you go about building those elements all together? I think, um, understandably, there is this, I think there's this big bias towards favouring players that, inverted commas, we've seen do it before. And so you mentioned Took Miller. You know, a few years ago, he went at 120, was one of them. You know, may have even been the highest averaging player that year, along with perhaps it was Jack Steele. And and perhaps he's another good example um, in that same range where they're priced somewhat similarly. We've seen them go very, very large before. And... Again, we have this bias towards favouring those types because we've seen it before. We know they can do it. I would question, and I don't have any objective data to back this up, I would question how many of those guys genuinely do come back to to match that sort of outlier average that they've done once before, especially when it was two, three years ago. You take Took Miller, for instance. The midfield he was in a couple of years ago is very different to the one he's in now. Like you could argue now this is either, you know, Raul's team, Noah Anderson's team. What role is he going to play in, you know, in the new coach's uh, game plan? You know, we, we've talked about, you know, obviously previous um, Dimmer's uh, game style at Richmond. It's never really been super conducive to very, very high fantasy scores, although you could also then make an argument about how how many players has he had similar to this? So you've really got to try and compare apples to apples there. But I don't think it's a given that someone like Took Miller just goes back to 110 or Jack Steele goes back to 110. Like coaches change, 
midfield mixes change. And I think we can get into a sort of caught in this very dangerous trap of so-and-so did it two, three years ago and they're now healthy. So they'll just get back to that. Right. And again, my gut feeling is that more often than not, that does not happen. And so I think it's actually perhaps easier to try and find the guy that can perhaps take the step up to that level um, just due to natural progression. You mentioned um, LDU with regards to his his body and these sorts of things. So hmm. we do have a couple of very plausible reasons as to why he might make that step up to 105 and 110. And that is just needs to stay on the park, which granted he's had a lot of trouble doing previously. Um, but again, if he can just stay on the park and put together a good 20 games, you know, in a row without having this interrupted, because you look at last year, he had this five game patchy stretch, you know, relatively early in the season, you'll recall super well, he, from memory, he, he, he sort of tummed up twice in a row in the first two games. Everyone was like, okay, this is that sort of uber premium that uh, we all need to jump on. A lot of people traded into him going into round three. And then what happened? That late out. Uh, and yeah. if you weren't on Twitter, uh, you know, <laughs> rolling lockout, we can talk about sort of the pros and cons of that. But if you weren't on Twitter, you 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 took a, you know, you took either a donut or copped an emergency score that week, which is a bit of mm. a disaster. And then subsequent to that, he had this sort of patchy, let's call it next you know, 10 rounds where he played three games and then missed another game, played two games and missed the last quarter, you know, in uh, in Port Adelaide when he injured his hammy and then he missed the next five games. And so again, you know, and then obviously missed the last two games of the season as well. So it's just patchiness. And I think these days and perhaps, you know, perhaps probably always in AFL, like you need to have that sustained fitness. You, you need to have your body cherry ripe if you're going to be averaging 110 you're not going to be doing it hobbled coming off this injury and having this interrupted season and I think that's the thing I'm probably most concerned about with him is can he stay on the park and history shows that he struggled to do that he had a shoulder reconstruction you know in his underage years when he was a 17 year old he had another shoulder reconstruction in 2019 in 2020 he missed chunks of games due to what they described as pubic overload 21, 22, he played most games. We okay, thought, yeah. That's it. He's, you know, he's finally getting his uh, his body right. And then again, last year, again, injury struck. And it's odd because there are the, the kind of these strange injuries. Obviously, he had that calf tightness in round three. He then, you know, in round uh, six, he missed a game with uh, a heel injury. I'm not, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that is. And then obviously in round nine, he got that, that, uh, that hamstring. hamstring injury. But yeah. since, constant sort of niggles and i don't know if that's just bad luck or look everyone's built differently and some people perhaps are just a little bit more brittle than others i we can't really you know we don't really know at this stage but if we go by his injury history that's going to be the big thing that uh that we need to be careful of i guess and, and the, in my opinion the biggest risk with his uh with selecting him in his starting side i think so too i, I don't see anywhere from a role within the team that you can have cause for concern. A few days ago, there's the episode we did on Jai Simpkin with Louie and we unpacked this midfield of North Melbourne. He's the lead dog in a struggling side and historically, those teams aren't tagged 
by the vast majority of the competition. And again, even if that comes his way, while there is some fluctuation in his basement, he's shown, as you unpacked right at the top of the episode, Vams, he's got that outside game as well to get onto the uncontested. And he's got the inside game to not just win the ball, but do the defensive stuff and tackle. So I'm not concerned about the tags. I'm not concerned about the role. The issue you've nailed on the head beautifully is around how many games will he play? If he gets continuity in his body, He's basically a top 10 mid already for us in Supercoach. That should only through natural progression of continuity in your body have him safely established in that. While for AFL Fantasy, he just needs some injury luck. If you believe he's going to get it, he should be an absolute serious consideration for your starting squad and has shown over three years he can elevate scoring beyond that 115, 120, when 30 mark and can be a vice-captaincy consideration for you, which is super important. If the injury history turns you off, that's absolutely okay. Don't pick him. That's fine. My only little flag for you is this, is if you choose not to select him because of injury history in your starting squad, history would say the more games you play, the greater the injury risk goes and the variable increases based on history. Now, It means he can play an uninterrupted season. Brad Crouch, Taylor Adams, the list goes on of guys with really rubbish injury history getting through it for a season. So there's no reason it'll happen. However, my little, you know, kind of flag of warning for you, if you go, no, don't want him, he's injury prone. What happens when he does what he did in 2023? Big tons to start the year. Round three, like I'm trading into him. You're just opening yourself up for the risk. So I'm much more of the believer of if they've got an injury history, start with them, bank the points. Don't get surprised if the injury comes, but hopefully you jag some premium scores rather than, oh no, his value. Oh no, he's great. It just feels like you're doubling down on the pain that could come your way. And it's now costing you two trades, one to get him in, one to get him out. I'd rather just spend the one trade on starting, copping it if it hits, and then just pivot to the other guy. Because I guess the beauty of him, Bams, is there are a bunch of guys in DT, in AFN, Supercoach, priced right alongside him that might not be as good as he could be, but, geez, there's there's so many good options in this range for us to consider. Yeah, look, it's interesting. And just to put his injury history into perspective, um, he was actually drafted the same year as Andy Brayshaw. Um, I, I think uh, Andy was taken a couple of picks ahead of him. Again, to put into perspective how much football Lucas missed, Brayshaw has played 123 games. Lucas played 85 games. That's essentially two seasons more of AFL football that Andy Brayshaw has played versus LDU, right? Now, as I said, LDU's played 85 games. What did Brayshaw average after his first 76 games? That season... He averaged 104, which is actually very similar to what LDU did last year when you remove a couple of his injury-affected games. Now, what did Brayshaw do the following year? He had that monster premium season where he went on to average 113. So I guess my point is, if we're sort of putting the sort of the rose-coloured glasses on and saying, look, what could LDU... You could argue on a per-game basis, he's tracking along somewhat similar to what, to what Brayshaw did, Right. After Again, after 85 games, he's averaging pretty similar to what Brayshaw did after a similar amount of games. The question is, can he take that step up? I think all the the metrics, 
of what his fantasy game involves, all the 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 role, the position that he's in, suggests that he he can. And I I'm I'm banking on him going 105, 110 plus next year. I think it's going to happen. I don't think he's got it in him to sort of go 115 plus, but. I think going to that Uber premium status is is absolutely possible. And you highlighted the the role that he's in as well. I completely agree. One of I think a very good heuristic to guys that potentially score very well in at least in AF is these big dog mids that have a relatively thin midfield around them that mm-hmm. play for a poor team, right? And he fits that beautifully. Yes, North Melbourne have a lot of guys that can go through there. But we're just listing names, right? You're talking about Wardlaw, who I think is probably going to be another mainstay, but he's he's in his second year. Simpkin, what role is he going to play? Is he going to be inside mid? Is he going to be sort of a high half forward? You've got Sheezel, we're still not sure there. Taron Thomas, still not a full-time mid. Yeah, obviously they've got the rookie coming through, McKercher, Greenwood. Is he best mm-hmm. 22? I don't know. Pal- Again, I'm just listing guys, but yeah, he's clearly the big dog there, right? Correct. And these big dog mids that can lay a tackle in particular. So you compare him to say Laird a couple of years ago, you compare him to both Steele, although he didn't play for a very poor team that year, but it wasn't a great team. Certainly took played for a very poor team that year that he went 120. They all have that same thing in common. Prime midfielder that can lay a, that can lay a tackle that can get you those seven, eight, nine, 10 tackles, but a thin midfield around them. So they're the main dog. They're the ones that demand the ball each and every time. And he fits that beautifully. And so I, I I love his game. I love his role. It's just, can he stay fit? That's all, yep. that's all we want to see. Can he stay fit? That's the, really the only concern. He's heading to 110 in my eyes in AF and DT and destined for 120 in Supercoach. It's all about, does he stay healthy and fit? If he does, lock this guy away. If you're happy to run the risk of it, lock this guy away in your starting squad. If you're a bit risk averse, Okay, now you're starting to look for some other options. Vams, before we wrap up the episode, want to get your take on where he goes on draft day. Like I said, he's ranked in just outside the top 10 mids in Supercoach uh, based off 2023 data. And he's in the, I think, 27, 28 marker of mids in AF and DT. Last year, it was the year of the forwards, super heavy forward. This year, it does feel like maybe if you want one of the top few, you've got to go early. There's a plethora of rucks to pick. Again, if you want one of those top guys, you've got to go early. So it does feel like people structurally might lean heavy mids early. Where do you see him going in a draft format this year? I think generally in drafts, people almost universally draft off prior season average and and how like so other than the sleepers that perhaps all you need is one switched on coach that takes a guy around or two earlier than perhaps they uh that, that you thought you were generally in terms of these types of guys or the top end mids they they almost always roughly go how they went sort of last year so my guess is that that's where elder you will go so you'll probably see the those 110 mids you know go early you'll see the 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 big rucks go early you'll see i think Two or three of the forwards might go early, given how thin the position is. I think you'll see due to positional scarcity, you'll see some people perhaps go quite early on forwards in drafts this year. Um, again, you'll, you'll have a couple of um, defenders that go early, those 100-point-per-game defenders. And 
that's when I think after that is when you're going to start to see LDU start to get taken. So, you know, let's call it in that 30, 35 ish range. And I think if in your, you know, your, your AF scoring leagues, if you can get him as your, your M2, I think you're going to do fine. I think if he's your M3, like you're going to be sitting in a really good spot. Super coach, a little bit different as you've alluded to this episode that, you know, his scoring is already almost at that super premium sort of level anyway, but I'd be targeting him in that, you know, in that third round um, and, you know, in that you know, late, late third round, perhaps early fourth round. And I think if you can get him there as your, your M2, M3 and in, in sort of AF scoring, I think, I think you're going to be sitting pretty. Yeah, I think so. An M3 and AF probably means you've heavily attacked that midfield and, and maybe not chosen to go with a ruck early on or one of those top end defender or forwards. And that's still perfectly fine. While super coach, I think he's going M2 and that could be as early as a late second round selection to mid second round selection. I, th I think it will be popular in the M sort of third with people really wanting to lock away the English, the Marshall, the Gorn, the Dacos, all these kind of guys. But regardless, it's going to be fascinating to me to see where and how he goes on draft day. Vams, what a debut from you, mate. Absolute special work being able to hear your and see your wisdom being shared on this episode as we talked about LDU. We look forward to having you back on again, not just for another episode of the 50 Most Relevant, but the next couple of weeks, a special podcast with yourself and Rids on the way, specifically dedicated to AF strategy. You want to give people just a quick insight to what we might hear on that episode? I think the the main thing Ritz and I just want to have a, a chat about and see if anyone else is interested in it is just what we learnt from from playing the game last year. I think um, again, there's this common um, understanding about value and all of this, but I think there are some other sort of perhaps some subtle nuances to to the game that you know certainly I didn't appreciate uh, coming back into playing sort of salary cap format after playing leagues for for a very long time so we just want to unpack some of the the things that we learned from playing the game last year and, and perhaps what we can uh, take into this year's game our AFL fantasy listeners are going to love that and there are definitely some parallels for dream teamers and super coaches although the games have a lot of nuances and differences i still think there's going to be some wisdom so you make sure you check that out vams it's been a absolute privilege and a pleasure chatting to you on this episode if you want to go and listen to any of the other episodes with any of the other coaches panel members you can go and check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast you can go and find that there's an article that accompanies not just this episode but every other episode you can check that out at coachespanel.tv in under 60 seconds i got a quick clue about who is coming up for you next at number 40 and the 50 most relevant but if you are enjoying what you're getting from the coaches panel this pre-season a couple of things i'd encourage you to do one make sure you follow and subscribe across all the social media channels that you are on chances are the coaches panel is right there if you are loving the podcast make sure you give it a five star rating and review it helps others in the community get to know and see about the coaches panel and lastly if you're willing and able you can jump onto our Patreon supporter group for just a few dollars a month. There's a couple of different tiers. One of them, I'm sure, is right for you. It's a great way to support the coaches panel. You get access to a bunch of exclusive groups, some hidden content, access to different members of the panel. And if you jump in at the breakout or premium tier, you get the podcast a day early. So Patreons are like, I knew LDU yesterday. They already know. 
what my clues are for number 40. So if you want to do that, all the details for our Patreon and also our social media, you're going to find in the description of this episode. So tomorrow we're about to depart the 40s. Number 40. Who is it? It's a guy that if you want to talk historical pedigree, is almost unmatched across the formats in fantasy footy. He's got incredible value baked into his price point, but there's a big reason that a lot in the community are concerned. Now, what is that concern? Is he coming back from an injury? Has he got an early buy? Has something drastically changed in his team around him? Or could it be all three? Or is it none of them? You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant.